Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. Welcome to episode 19 of the Circular Economy podcast. I'm recording this on the 17th of January 2020, and this week, in the lead-up to its annual meeting in Davos, the World Economic Forum published its annual risk report. The top headline points out that climate-related risks overshadow all other risks, in particular economic risks. I use these risk reports every year, and know that World Economic Forum members have included climate in their top five risks for all of the last 10 years. But companies and governments are not taking this on board. The vast majority of businesses have failed to make or commit to big carbon reductions. One company has just announced an ambitious plan. Microsoft has committed to actively remove carbon from the atmosphere, going carbon negative by 2030. Even better, by 2050, Microsoft pledges it will remove from the environment all the carbon the company has emitted, either directly or by electrical consumption, since it was founded in 1975. I'll put links to those announcements in the show notes. Back to today's episode, and we're talking to Wasa Stenmark of IVL, the Swedish Environmental Research Institute. Wasa works on projects that aim to create more sustainable consumption, including reducing consumption overall, sharing, waste minimisation, recycling and so on. And she's particularly interested in plastics and food. Let's meet Wasa. Wasa, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you very much. And where are you calling us from today? I'm calling you from Stockholm, Sweden. It's a... rainy gray december outside (laughs) yes it's a it's a gray december here but not raining this morning um for once Uh, but still very everything's very soggy underfoot as i was um walking the dogs this morning um on on the moor so yeah so perhaps we could start by asking a little bit about um where you work and the kind of work that you do Yeah, um, I work at uh, IVL, Swedish Environmental Research Institute, and we are a research organization. We're about 300 plus people working with different kinds of environmental issues, uh, research focus, but the research is uh, closely linked to the reality. So every product that we do has some sort of uh, industry or actor, uh, relevant actor involved mostly multiple ones. And uh, I'm working with resources, material resources, uh, wastes, uh, and more and more towards sustainable consumption. 
And all this you can link within circular economy. Mm. And we were talking um, ahead of the podcast about some of the projects that you've been doing. And perhaps you'd like to mention a couple of those and and, uh, talk us through the kind of challenges that you had to face. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one thing that comes to mind since this is uh, about circular economy and, and change towards that is a project that we are starting up at the moment. It's a very new project looking at a uh, return system for uh, takeaway boxes, but so that the takeaway boxes and cups could be reusable. So it means that you could use them many times instead of just once and then throw them away. And uh, we're setting this up at a number of places in within Stockholm city and in Gothenburg the capital of Sweden and the second largest city of Sweden. And uh, we're going to see what happens if if this turns out well, or if it, if we can see problems with, you know, people bringing home the boxes and cups and not bringing them back and so on. So it's super interesting to be really out testing things in, in the real world. So perhaps you could tell us a bit more about that, you know, how many um, different food outlets does it involve? Um, how do people, you know, do, are people just given the container or do they have to sign for it in some way through an app or something? Yeah, um, so and this is a pilot project, so it's not a full-scale one, so not a complete city, unfortunately. That would, in one sense, uh, be easier, I think, because it would be easier than to return your stuff anywhere. Uh, but we have a couple of places in Stockholm around the... Uh, so the one of the uh, universities that we have in the city and then we have one other uh, restaurant which is located in a food court where we hopefully will get uh, more restaurants also involved in this and the idea is that the customer buys a multi-use cup or box uh, and then these uh, we are we're linking this into an app and uh, there you can see that you have your box or your cup and uh, you take your food or your coffee or whatever and then leave the the restaurant or cafe and uh, drink eat it up and then return your cup and then have sort of a credit cup or box in the system mm. and uh, well that's how it's supposed to work and then the restaurant should clean the box and cup so this is not the same as always bringing your own cup and box, which you could, of course, also do, which would be great if everyone would do. But this is more exploring the idea of, uh, well, not all people or, or not a, not on all occasions. It's it's handy to sort of have your own cup and box with you. Maybe you just want to take a coffee and then leave the cup somewhere else. So that's what we are exploring now to a certain extent. But mm. as I said, it would be in some perspectives easier if we would have like a full system uh, already because this taking your cup with you the next time uh, might be a bit of an issue but we will see how it works Mm. so you you go so you go to the food court you pick up a cup along with the with the drink or um, the container along with the food Mm -hmm. and do you pay a um, a deposit for the for the container, or? Yeah, the idea for the for the product is that you will pay uh, thirty Swedish crowns, which is about three euros, 
or three US dollars, depending on what currency you want to compare with. And uh, then you don't have to pay again the next time you come and, and want to use uh, the mm. system. So you pay once. And mm. a, uh, what what is not very much alike with the regular deposit system is that you would never get these uh, this money back. back. So you, it would just be in the system. Mm. But what we are exploring uh, is that you will get some sort of uh, reduced price on your food or on your coffee when you use the system. Mm. But that so, is up so there's to the... an added incentive then. Yeah. 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 And exactly. I guess it saves the food court money in terms of... Um, yeah, of course it does because it costs yeah. them actually to buy the single-use material and here they they have to buy these cups once and then pay a small smaller fee than they pay for the um, single-use cups. They pay that a very low amount to sort of the app system mm. in order to keep that going. Mm. But yeah, it's it's supposed to be beneficial uh, from an economic point of view for, for the restaurant owners and, and cafe owners. Sure. And if you're the customer, then once you've eaten your food, you can take it back to any participating outlet. Yeah. And then yeah. um, how does it know that you've given your dish back? It, it's uh, in the in the app. It will be registered that you have now left your your uh, your dish back. So uh, so the so app do you will take care of that. scan your phone on something yeah. to say okay yeah, exactly yeah okay and what kind of feedback are you getting from um, the consumers first of all what, what are <laughs> we they? haven't started yet oh, okay. so I don't right. know okay <laughs> but we, I hope we so we did a pre study. Mm -hmm. uh, not testing the actual system, but asking clients in in uh, some large uh, coffee chains in in Sweden what they would think about this, and it, the answers were to like eighty ninety percent super positive about you know reducing the environmental footprint. It's very high up on on people's agendas, mm -hmm. but in in the case of takeaway, which has really exploded in in Sweden and elsewhere in the world the latest years, people are also you know like this kind of lifestyle, and you do want to keep your takeaway coffee habit uh, for your morning travel or whatever. So they are they were we we got comments like yeah it's super good that that the these chains are doing something because I won't help with this. And I'm, I'm also, also we got answers like, yeah, we are, I'm expecting the businesses to take responsibilities and, and so on. So we think that it will be valuable for the customers, but also will give the, the restaurants and, and cafes and sort of good environmental uh, look or how I should put it. Yes. Yes. Like brand uh, brand building in that sense. Yes. I was just I've um just finished the manuscript for the second edition of my book and uh, one of the chapters was a new one on packaging and I noticed that Costa Coffee um mm. mainly in the UK but I think they're else elsewhere. They'd done something called a clever cup um yeah. which had a a built-in tag in the bottom so it was a reusable cup. Um, and that was how it kind of kept track of, um, you know, the the who was using it and so on. And I think it was able to do things like tell the barista what your preference was in terms of. Oh, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that all sounds really good. And from their point of view, if if the tag has lots of extra features, 
that give the consumer benefits, then you could kind of see that that might drive you to think, well, I've got this reusable cup and if I use it at Costa Coffee, then I get added benefits. Mm, Whereas if exactly. I use it at another chain, it's still a reusable mm. cup, but I don't get, mm. you know, whatever it is or loyalty yeah. points or whatever they're going to do with it. But mm. the, the danger with that is unless you are super loyal to one brand, then you could end up with, um, you know, carrying a cup cups. with you that you can't <laughs> or 20 cups. Yeah. So it, it kind of um, um, it, it doesn't really feel like a good long-term solution does it? it it feels more like something that um i don't know a, a bit like um i suppose it's it's going back to the days of videotapes and there was the <laughs> uh the you know the beta and the vhs and in the end one of them had to win out because you couldn't yeah. you couldn't keep going and that was just two systems but imagine if every coffee outlet had their own you know, super cup like with yeah. <laughs> with their own kind of um, you know special tag features. It, yeah, uh, that's yeah. maybe too much. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah. the idea of our system is to have one cup in the system, mm. uh, but we have run into discussions with the with the owners. Like, we want to brand the cups, or that's a, it's a big thing for the for the coffee mm, sure. uh, shops specifically. Not so much the lunch boxes. That's easier. But for the coffee cups, it's that's really an issue. But then I'm I'm thinking like soon, I th I hope soon. <laughs> I think that there will be much more, you know, uh, what do you put it in English? Much more uh, attention around these sort of brands that are ending up in the wrong places, like out in the ocean or mm. in the streets where it shouldn't be, yeah. like littering. Uh, so hopefully that will be also sort of a driver. Uh, towards something more neutral that everyone can sort of pull behind or stand behind. Yeah, that's a really mm. good point. And maybe that's something that should be uh, discussed more by marketing teams and so on, that, um, you know, that having the brand prominence is all very well until mm. it ends up in the wrong place. And um, exactly. there are some statistics, aren't there, from... Um, Again, my brain's a bit fried, but I think I put this in the book. Um, and uh, it might be Surfers Against Sewage, um, one of those kind of organisations that did a, does a global beach clean um, once mm -hmm. or twice a year, and then they publish the results of that. Mm. Uh, and I think it got quite a lot of press, the last one, where, um, you know, two-thirds of it or something was um, takeaway packaging and soft drinks and stuff. Yeah. Um, and the most prominent of those, I think, was Coca-Cola, understandably because they sell more they of that than anything one. else. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But those photos of, um, you know, empty bottles, they don't do the brand any good, do they? And, and it no, just and it just exactly. makes consumers um, more inclined to, to push the brands to do something different. And the frustrating mm. thing with Coca-Cola is that we all know they used to have glass bottles that, you know, went round and round in a closed closed mm. loop um so you know <laughs> why can't we yeah. go go back there go back to that yeah, yeah. so that yeah. that's yeah that's interesting so um what about some of the other projects i think there's there are quite a few that you've done that are circular economy related yeah uh quite a few but i'm, I'm trying to think of some some more practical ones actually because i think that that might be of larger interest so we're also working a lot with reducing food waste uh, mm -hmm. in general which is on the reduce part of things and 
that we can see that we are we are measuring food waste in Sweden. So we have the statistics, not the best statistics, but anyway, we have some some sort of understanding of the of the flows, and uh, we can see that the what's really interesting is that I've been, I've been working with this for like ten years and. Uh, the, the most recent project we did was sort of looking into media coverage versus how much the retail chains has changed in, in terms of, of food waste reduction and activities related to that. So when I did my first project, which was like 10 years ago on, on food waste in retail, it was more of like, yeah, you know, this is part of the business model and we have to throw away certain amounts of food because ABC. Uh, and so on and, and there's not much we can do about it and then I also asked about well what do you think about your interaction with the consumers and how you could sort of because you know they could actually do a lot of information in the store towards consumers uh, on, on different things like how you should store it and don't buy too much or whatever and that was also like a closed door like no it's not our responsibilities to bring this up and so on and so forth. But then what you can see, I think that goes for the whole world, actually, but we looked at Sweden, so we can see that the interest in media has sort of ex exploded, not exploded perhaps, but been bigger and bigger. And uh, we did a media analysis looking into the daily press, but also branch-specific uh, newspapers and things like that. And we sort of got like this upgoing curve on numbers of times that food waste or food loss was being mentioned and uh, uh, then we also interviewed uh, different uh, retailers in sweden and they all said like yeah this is super important for us now we work a lot with it uh, it's related to lots of uh, lots of things some some have even started to report their food waste like public publicly reported and uh, also that they are, we can see that they are doing a lot of consumer education. In, uh, you know, they hand out these papers every month or so from diff from different retailers. And when you read them, you can see that it's a lot about how you should store your food and how you shouldn't waste too much food and cook on leftovers and and everything. So <clears throat> I think that that's a really inspiring story of how one actor but i know also other actors in the value chain work a lot with this but uh, so how actors actually have started to embrace this uh, reduction issue and really that we should do something about it mm. um, and what what kind of findings have helped them do something different what you know what what are the key factors I think I think in in sweden it's a lot driven by the by the environmental sort of knowledge uh, mm. we have a fairly high environmental knowledge in general in the in the society then some people don't care too much but but uh, we we do have a high education level in mm. general um so then that of course also goes for the people working in these businesses so yes. they it's much driven by the environmental question and and i talked to one retailer the other day and and she was like yeah but you, and sweden also has a goal to become fossil free nation mm -hmm. in 2045 so that's also something that's driving the, the sort of discussion around fossil free uh, really drives these issues uh, to a large extent. And that's something that's come sort of the latest one or, one or two years, perhaps. Mm. So sort of aligning with circular economy, 
discussions and mm. how that has sort of increased over the years, uh, like just the latest two, yes. three, four years, perhaps many things have happened. Mm. And in terms of the kind of changes that they could make, what what were emerging in terms of the factors that were perhaps creating food waste? I'm thinking back to a conversation that I've uh, had with Lucy Antal at Feedback Global, which is a food waste mm, campaign yeah. organisation. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't think we covered this in the podcast. I think it was in an earlier chat. But they're working with the UK supermarkets on food mm-hmm. waste. And the buying standards are one of the factors, they think, that are causing yeah. um, or uh, allowing, let's say, a lot more waste to be created. Even one example with a variety of apple and the specification mm. for it, as well as it had to be a certain size, but the specification included um, a line that said it had to be, you know, 50% green and 50% red. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, the chances of that actually being complied with no, were minute. So <laughs> yeah. if for any reason, you know, sales of apples weren't going well that week, the buyer was able to just say, reject a whole batch by mm. saying, oh, it doesn't meet specification. So yeah. those kind of, you know, those are the things that they were highlighting as, um, you know, not really fair, um, not not related to the quality of the product at all. Um, no, and, no, And something that was, you know, just seemed to be in there for, um, you know, less than altruistic <laughs> reasons. Um, yeah. So this, this whole thing about the, the kind of contracts that farmers and wholesalers have to sign up to. Um, yeah, seem I think to that be... that's a big issue and still not solved, definitely mm. not solved. So unfair trading practices, it's still something that we see also in, in Sweden. And that, and that is mentioned by by the uh, farm, Swedish farmers as well as, as one problem that they want to look into. Mm. We're now we're putting it up a voluntary agreement or negotiated agreement, uh, as you have in UK with the court hold commitment. Mm. And um, <clears throat> we, are, we, we then will try to look into these sorts of issues as well because this is waste sort of occurring in between the values value the steps in the value chain so basically you push things around uh, and that's still a lot of issues to be solved sorry that's my dog oh, that's okay yeah. I was, i'm just hoping that we don't we don't have any deliveries arriving because then there'll be uh, yeah do you need is I that what's happening for you yeah okay. no, i don't know really hang on Yeah, I think we'll be fine. No, it's nothing, not someone coming, but he's looking out to the, we have sort of a large space out, outside the the uh, garden and sometimes cars drive in and he thinks that he should tell them off. <laughs> That's reasonable. You need to protect your yeah. territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But <laughs> uh, Anyway, yeah, unfair trading practices. But the, so I, I think that the retailers could do much more in, these kinds of issues when they are looking at, you know, their sort of impact on other steps in the value chain. But when you look at them sort of internally, they do a lot. Mm. Uh, so I think that's, that that's uh, at least progress mm. compared to, to 10, five, five, 10 years ago. And what other key behavior changes did you come across, you know, either from the buying perspective or the consumer's perspective? What is this, did, Was there something else that you thought was a really useful lever to try and pull yeah but I'm, I'm thinking that consumers become more and more aware and that we can reach consumers through different sort of arguments so 
um, the environmental aspect, I think, is high on the agenda for the businesses, but not always for the, for people, right? So we have like a, like certain people they they go for environmental stuff. So you can you can nudge them by telling this and this about the environment. But then we have the cost issues. We can also see that different uh, different types of clients they are more they are listening more to. to uh, like uh, yeah, you save this amount of money, or mm. uh, you can that that equals this and that, for example. Yeah. But then also really interesting in another project. This was not our finding, but a uh, another research organization's fun, funding finding. Uh, when we when we get information like we throw we throw away this amount of food every year, mm. like oh, it, and it's a bit catastrophic. Like that's so much. You tend to think that well, I'm not throwing away that much food just a little bit so it doesn't mm. you know doesn't mm. matter if i still do that um <clears throat> but then uh, so if you if you don't communicate that way but rather communicate like your neighbor is not throwing away mm. any food at all yes <laughs> that's much more powerful uh, in terms of changing a behavior yes. and i think that's really interesting like yes. how could we frame things to make people act and or react on, on things i think that's interesting yeah and that does seem to work quite well doesn't it i I remember might have been one of the early bits of research on that that was um i can't remember his first name cialdini um who's done a lot on on uh, nudge theory and so on mm-hmm. and they experimented i think it was with hotels um about uh, you know they'd had these notices for years saying um, if you've not used your towel or it doesn't need washing, then, mm. um, you know, please hang it up if it needs washing, putting it in the bath. And then they changed that to say, um, you know, we're trying to reduce our um, environmental footprint. So many, you know, this percentage of other guests, um, you know, use their towels for three days or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they found that had a much bigger impact than just giving people a sensible reason why it was, you know... To, we're trying to trying to save um emissions or energy or whatever so you know please reuse your towel but getting people to think that they were the outliers and that (laughs) you know most other people were doing it seemed to work more effectively yeah yeah exactly yeah Yeah. well there's that it is a swedish thing isn't it flight shame that's where that's that's where that started yeah yeah and i've seen some very go sorry no, no, that was, I was jumping to another topic. <laughs> okay. Well, just before you do, I made a note when we were talking about the food waste one. Sorry, not the food waste, the, um, the food containers. And that mm. one of the issues with recycling, um, particularly in the UK, is the contamination. Um, that even if something's recyclable, if it's mm. got a little bit of food left on it, like a, a pizza box, so it might be a cardboard mm. box, but once it's had the pizza in it and got a bit of cheese and tomato stuck to mm. the inside, it's then contaminated. And people putting that in the general paper recycling would contaminate the whole batch, um, mm-hmm. which they often don't realise. So I guess that's another reason to have reusable containers that um, don't end up contaminating a, a whole recycling stream just because somebody's thought you know i'm sure this is recyclable i'll put it in here and it and it made yeah, me but, think sorry yes go on no but that's really interesting that you say it this way because if you talk to the swedish recycling industry or the swedish waste sorters which are sort of prior to recycling mm. they would say that and their message which 
we try to help them with is that it doesn't matter so much if it's a little bit contaminated or dirty. We can still sort it and we can still reuse or recycle the material. Right. So it's basically a completely different yes. angle than maybe your industry then is taking. Yeah, so and, and, that, and that sounds as if it's to do with um, commercial... <laughs> <laughs> commercial priorities <laughs> yeah. rather than the availability of technology doesn't it so yeah i might yeah, have to really. look into that one but yeah, it but it made me, me think about <laughs> it made me think about um have you heard of vegware so no? um so vegware i think is international now um i think it might have started in the uk but they're making food packaging out of um, bio-based materials mm -hmm. and so they can be industrially composted but one of the problems is because our, our local, um, we're out in the countryside, so fish and chips in the UK is a, is a traditional, you know, it's one of the earliest takeaways. Yeah, um, but because we're out in the countryside, our nearest fish and chip shop um, is 20 miles away. And we have a van that, that tours around the, the area every Friday and stops <laughs> in each village for half an hour. And that's when, you know, you go and get your fish and chips. And they've yeah. started doing um, vegware uh, containers but the problem is our local council doesn't collect them and they have to be industrially composted, which means super hot yeah, composting, yeah, not in yeah. your home compost bin. So actually, although it's not using plastic or anything, it, it, it can't no, go in a recycling stream. It ends yeah. up in landfill where we don't want yeah. it because it's going to create methane. So these, yeah. these sort of solutions that are only part of a system they haven't resolved the whole you know the whole system isn't there is it you know it might no, it might exactly. exist in some big cities where there's a industrial compost collection from households but yes. if there isn't um no, then, then it's a big problem you've created yeah, so a problem this is something that we see all over the place and i think in relation to plastic which i've worked a lot with the latest years uh you think that biodegradable plastics or these kinds of materials uh, would sort of solve the plastic problem, which is so far from reality. When you look at research being done, like they have put these bags in into the ocean for so and so mm. many years, and they are still there and, yeah. and things like that. So I think that that's really not the way of being circular. It's more creating a different, maybe another problem. Maybe as you say, in in certain places where you would have industrial composting. Like I know, for example, they do in Italy and they buy their their vegetables in these kinds of bags and then they collect the food waste in these kinds of bags and that goes to industrial composting. Well, then that's a, that's a good system. Mm. But in many other cases, it's just, you know, or just creating another problem, basically. Yeah. And I guess if, you know, if people see that it's biodegradable, they're not to know that that's only under certain no. um, conditions and that it may not you know, in the ocean, there's no oxygen, so it's not going to biodegrade that, you know, how do you expect people to, no, that's to really kind hard. of know so that on a, on a yeah, you know? No, we've de we dig digged into that a little bit in, in an investigation I did for the Swedish government on, on plastics and biodegradable and bio-based plastics. And, and uh, you could definitely see this. It's not so much literature around, mm. <laughs> but you could definitely see that the ones that have investigated it has found that a people don't really know so bio tends you know we look at bio bio sounds sounds good mm. natural and 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 happy in a way 
Uh, and then biodegradable, we think that it's more like vegetables or an apple, and you know that you can throw that into nature and it disappears, right? Mm. So then you you are actually create, or you're risking to create lit- people that would litter that normally wouldn't throw these things. Mm, exactly, uh, exactly. In nature, but but would uh, would now because they just think it's you know, yeah, biodegradable or biobased. Uh, it's sort of yeah really misleading terms in in a, in mm. a way well I, th- I think i'm writing saying because i i um, wrote something on this for the book and it took me ages to track down reputable sources that i could use as a reference for these definitions yeah but biodegradable could be either degradable or biobased materials and so it could still be a plastic that would yeah, yeah. degrade. And yeah. so all the, all you're doing then is getting microplastics, which we now yeah. know are a big problem. Yes, So exactly. you would, as a consumer, you would read biodegradable and I would assume that means it's made from biomaterials. Vanishing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, bi- well, made from biomaterials that will become food for nature. But that's yeah. not necessarily the case. And I think that's no. really very misleading and we need international standards don't we for all of these things yeah definitely and and if if someone listening has a product or marketing things don't use these words as marketing words use yeah. other words yeah, yeah exactly yeah it's like natural isn't it um yeah yeah i, I had a, a supplier of cosmetic ingredients um when uh, we went back and said um, you know, our specification said we wanted natural ingredients and here's some petrochemicals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and he then said, well, but they've come from fossil fuels. Those were natural yeah, ones. And it's like, well, yeah. OK, that, strictly speaking, that's true. <laughs> and, there, and there is no definition of natural. So, no. Yeah, it's, no, it's no, hard. Exactly. Yeah. And we tend to think that everything that comes from nature is is pure and good and clean and everything. But... In, in reality, we can do really nasty things from things coming from nature. Yeah, well, and there are, there are before we've even intervened, there are toxic and poisonous yeah, things, exactly. aren't there, in nature? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's not necessarily <laughs> exactly. benign. Yeah. yeah. So you had another example you wanted to, uh, to, to yeah, bring in. Yeah, it was in. just on the, on the food waste, uh, when you said food waste from in hotels and, and restaurants, or I don't know how I can come to sort of it but anyway i was thinking about something practical that we have seen what has been shown in many studies is that if you're running a cafe or restaurant and if you serve on like smaller plates rather than big mm-hmm. plates if you have only one plate instead of a salad uh, plate and the main course plate or if you also if you have like smaller um, forks or spoons that you take your food with you would take less uh, so all these kinds of issues could could help people, especially at, at buffets, I think, but to take a, a decent amount of food, like the right amount of food, instead of overloading the plate with too much, and then in the end not not uh, finishing the plate. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I yeah, was there's just thinking about this very practical. Of, yeah, there's an awful lot of different areas where, yeah. um, you know, small tweaks here and there. Um, yeah, you know, lots of those in the system can make a big difference, and um, yeah. you know, um, yeah, I think, and and helping people to do the right thing instead of it being 
the onus on the on the customer on the on the citizen to do all the research you know who's actually mm. got the time if it took me um you know it probably took me a day of researching to get to yeah. this you know the def- proper definitions of um biodegradable bioplastic and all the rest of it who's got yeah. the time to do that no, um and no then what, and then you know the majority of the things that you buy wouldn't properly define it anyway they'd just kind of say you know eco packaging or some other yeah, meaningless phrase like yeah. yeah um yeah. so no wonder people get get frustrated oh, yeah and confused and there's a there's this um report from the eu commission um where you can see that i think it's it's over 90 i don't remember how much over 90 but over 90 percent of european citizens that do uh think that the governments should take their responsibility and in, in prohibiting things that mm-hmm. are not good for the environment, but also that uh, we as citizens think that the, the businesses should take these responsibilities and, and we actually want them to make the decisions for us and not to provide us with things that are you know, not so good from an environmental perspective. Yeah. And I think that this is really interesting when it comes to the because when you speak at the businesses, it's always like, yeah, but the markets, it's expecting and our, our customers are expecting la la la. But we are actually expecting them to give us the right choices and not the bad ones. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's something to really lean on when you, both for politicians, when they should take sort of brave decisions on legislations and such, but also for companies that wants to change the business model, perhaps, or their sort of products or services or whatever yeah i agree and i think there's you know there's more and more research emerging on that yeah and i think also i'm seeing evidence in some sectors of companies making a bit of noise about their sustainability promises pledges Mm -hmm. and again who's got the time to research those but if you do you then get to some pretty meaningless phrases you know, around we'll we'll use, you know, renewable this. But just because it's renewable doesn't mean to say that it's sustainably renewable, does it? You know, no. it, trees are renewable, but if we if we cut them all down and turn them into fabric um, that, um, and expected that to only last two or three months, then that's yeah. not a sustainable solution. So no. I, I think those companies risk being caught out um, because they've made a, made a noise about something that's actually empty empty words you know they've they've used some in the same way as using the word natural <laughs> mm. um, yeah, exactly. you know to kind of uh, convey this impression or the word eco to convey this impression that you're doing the right thing but then actually you get exposed a bit like the bottles on the beach or whatever that you know mm. you've 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 said this and then look what happens um, mm. that can be much more damaging than just keeping quiet and and working hard on a on a proper solution that you can talk about in a in an honest way and kind of say this is where we've got to i like i like the way that patagonia uh talk about that you know their um aims and they don't think it's at the moment it's not possible for any company to be truly sustainable but they're working hard to try and focus on the things each thing that they're doing that's harmful and find a better way to do it and make as much progress as they can. But they don't, even they don't claim to be sustainable and they're probably one of the most advanced um, international companies. companies. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. I, I, I do agree on that, but I also think that it's, it's good that large, you can see large companies making these kinds of pledges. Um, and 
when you actually look into them, you can find that there's actually some substance and that they are actually trying to, to change, for example, towards recycled plastics. And um, I think that that's also kind of powerful when you, because saying that and then knowing that you could be evaluated and sort of, you know, mm. dragged, <laughs> dragged to the floor, what you say in English, like it could really be bad press if you don't succeed. So it's also a bit brave, but they should still be like reasonable targets and not uh, sort of too, you know, promising too much, I think. Mm. I think that's the issue for me is these sort of headline grabbing statements. Yeah, and when you look behind them, they're, they're, they're kind of, um, you know, so loose that you um, to use an English phrase, you could drive a a, a horse and cart through them. Um, (laughs) yeah, but yeah. So how could people find out more about the research that you're doing and get in touch? Well, you could either email me on, uh, asa.stenmark.ivl.se I guess that will come up in the sort of bio for the pod uh, I'm also on LinkedIn to, to, to look for me there Okay, great, and I'll put those links in the show notes on rethinkglobal.info so people can find you from there great. and click straight yeah. through Well, thank you very much, Asa um, That's been really interesting and I look forward to hearing more about some of the research that you're doing um, yeah. I'm sure a lot of the findings from Sweden will translate into many other countries around the world. I think the the, the enthusiasm for doing things better instead of being a bit less bad, you know, that find, finding yeah. good <laughs> things to do and finding things that make a positive difference is really starting to galvanise people to change their habits. Um, yeah. And uh, some of the insights about nudge and... Um, you know the right the right words to use and setting up the system so that it works for everybody. Those are the things that can make the difference between something working and something sort of um, you know starting and then and then not not succeeding. Yeah. So yeah. So thanks. Thank, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us this morning. All right. Thank you. Take care. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time.